Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. I am Sean, and as always, joined by my partner, Mike. What up? So tonight, we're going to talk about what is wilderness EMS, and we're going to talk a lot about the other related relatives to wilderness EMS, uh, the other wilderness medicine, wilderness first aid type courses that are out there, how they interact with each other, and if one is appropriate to the other or not. So for me personally, why am I talking about this? I have taught wellness first aid, I've taught advanced wellness first aid, and I've taught wellness first responder programs. Uh, I have attended multiple wellness first aid and a couple of different wellness first responder programs from different vendors. I used to run my own training company. So I have a good perspective of both the student and the instructor's perspective, as well as managing some of these programs. So it's not just a, I did a quick Google search and we're going to talk about what I think based on what I read on the internet or another provider's website. All right. So Sean knows some <laughs> things and some stuff. So he's taken some classes and uh, he's taught some things. Yeah, I've done a thing or two. I think my own state farm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so back on track. So just like urban EMS, right? We start off, we have, you know, emergency medical responders to EMTs, advanced EMT paramedic. So on the wilderness side, there are different levels as well, starting from a basic through an advanced level of wilderness providers. But before we get into each of those, uh, we're going to kind of separate a little bit on the two different types of providers, right? So the first one we're going to talk about, which really responds to the bulk of this talk tonight is we're going to call it the layperson or the first responder, first aid responder type levels. These are just your average citizens, civilians who have taken a wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder course. And they might be functioning in multiple capacities, whether it's just they're avid outdoors people and they want to take a, a wilderness focused first aid course, or maybe they're involved in scouting. They are hunting guides, hiking guides, river guides, etc. And it might be a condition of employment that they become wilderness, whatever course certified. So these Responder levels used to indicate someone who's provided a level of care that's a generally regarded as a secondary duty and may or may not be outfitted to execute the duties, right? So like if you're a, a scout leader, your primary job is to provide leadership and mentorship to your scouts. Secondarily, you're going to provide first aid as necessary to any of the scouts or fellow leadership cadre that you have with you that get injured while involved in scouting duties. Same thing with, say the guiding profession. This is kind of a gray area. We're not going to talk a whole lot about, but there's a lot of debate whether they have a duty to act and kind of fall out of the Good Samaritan category. And it all really depends on how your employer writes your contracts that your clients are going to sign. So well, as an example, a river that guy, hasn't come up yet, right? Like uh, there probably have been, I'm just, I don't research, research case law. So it is what it is. Maybe one day I will. Yeah, we'll do another podcast on that too. Sean's opinion on yeah. case law. <laughs> I actually read an article and we'll talk about that again, another one, right? Yep. So, but basically like, so, so if you're a river guide, your primary duty is to provide 
the guiding service, right? To take folks down whitewaters, canoes, kayaks, whatever it might be, whatever your guiding service is. And then part of your duties is to provide care to the clients should they become injured or ill while under your guiding prowess. So depending on how that works out, if your clients are expecting some level of first aid care from you, then it's really no longer a secondary duty. It's, it, I mean, it's a secondary duty, but it kind of now falls into a, you have a duty to act. You have a responsibility to be a trained provider and be professional in your response. Same thing, depending on how it's worded and how they're set up. Uh, search and rescue teams, which are largely volunteer, a lot of them have as their standard first aid skill set is wellness first aiders, all the way up through wellness first responders. There might be some that involve uh, certified and licensed EMS professionals as well. Same thing with the ski patrol. Ski patrol has its own program we'll talk a little bit about tonight. But none of them, well, ski patrol is the exception there, I guess, because their primary duty is to respond to people who become injured out there on the slopes. They're probably the closest to a standard EMS response model in a non-standard EMS environment when it comes to structure yeah, and, and uh, responsibility to act, et cetera. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, they are essentially, they are established to provide care to skiers who become injured out there while skiing. Yep. And so we kind of lump all of these people under the the lay responder or the uh, first aider or maybe just you know, a first responder, the first person who's on scene who begins to provide care. And we're separating them from what we'll call the professional level responders, people that are, you know, manned, trained, equipped, organized, everything, right, to provide a certain level of medical response. And that is their primary duty. Talked about a little bit, right? So the implicit duty to act, if you are an EMS responder, you fall under that. You have a duty to act. You have to act. You must provide care, etc. You know, you don't get a choice in that one. Hmm. Uh, but again, for simplicity's sake, you know, we have folks under the, the lay responder umbrella and then the EMS, we'll call it professional, even if you are volunteer type responders. All right. So let's, that's enough of that stuff. So what are the basic levels found in your, what we'll call our traditional wilderness medicine courses? Well, we start off with our base level, wilderness first aid. There is, generally speaking, a standardized curriculum for this, two days long, so a 16 hours, give or take, training time, and it provides the basic fundamentals for wilderness care. It, it definitely provides a bit of an emphasis on the improvisation of bandaging and splinting type materials if you don't have them readily available to you. That's where a lot of people get the idea of you know, wilderness medicine people, you know, using sticks and fashioning litters out of squirrel carcasses and twine and a couple of fallen tree branches. And we're going to pack talk that about wound with leaves, buddy. It'll bit. stop. You'll be fine. Exactly. Right. Rub some dirt yep. in it. <laughs> some places still do offer a basic wellness first aid course, which is just a one day program. Honestly, there's not a lot of those that are still out there that I'm aware of, but they do exist. So if you see a a basic wilderness first aid. It's usually a one-day, eight-hour program, and you're going to get a little bit of it. The two-day course is really the foundational level. Uh, you do get a good introduction to a little bit of pathophysiology, a little bit of anatomy and physiology. Patient assessment is a key component. Uh, it's no longer just a, if you see the thing bleeding, do something about it. It's actually learn to do an assessment, learn to do some patient history gathering. So it's, it's a good base-level program. Up from that, at uh, the intermediate type level, you'd have the Wilderness Advanced First Aid Program. Uh, 
This can range anywhere from three to five days, depending on your vendor. And this definitely expands on the wellness first aid curriculum. Uh, but I would say it doesn't really provide a lot more additional training. What it does is provide you a lot more time to practice all those foundational skills, getting much better at patient assessments, history taking, uh, some of the treatment modalities, you know, wound care, splinting, and everything else. So it's then, that's really lastly, more of a, uh, you're saying it's the same curriculum more or less, but you get a lot more hands-on training? Is that, for, is that for the example? most part, and again, it, there, there's a little bit of a vendor variation, and that happens across all three of these. And we'll talk about how there's been some work done to to try and unify the okay. curriculums, yep. um, but it isn't as standardized as, as EMS is, right? So yeah, the the intermediate, the advanced wellness first aid, like I said, it's anywhere from three to five days. So you might get 40 hours, you might get 24 hours. It, it all depends on your provider. And normally it, the longer it goes, the more you might get into that. You might start getting into collecting actual vital signs, like doing blood pressure stethoscope kind of work, but not necessarily. Okay. Uh, that is at the next level, right? The Wilderness First Responder Program, which for the most part is the top of the layperson wilderness medicine food chain. All right, these courses are anywhere from 40 to 80 hours. Most of them are getting into that 72 to 80 hour mark now. They've kind of pushed past 40 hours now and they're really getting a lot longer. Pros and cons to that. Um, and it all really depends on the need of, we'll say, the student body. So this definitely gets into a bit more advanced pathophysiology. And keep in mind for, for the listeners we have that are actually EMS providers, when I say advanced pathophysiology, I mean advanced compared to a Red Cross basic first aid course participant, right? They're not learning detailed pathophysiology. They're not learning, you know, detailed, you know, processes about cellular metabolism and respiration and things like that. They're just learning some of the fundamentals about why blood loss is bad and shock is not a good thing. Right? Uh, again, getting more anatomy and physiology. You're not trying to have to memorize all the bones, but you're getting the big bones and the major areas. Get more into, we'll say, medical jargon, anterior, posterior, proximal, distal, all that other kind of thing, right? Definitely a lot more patient assessment. You're definitely doing vital signs at this point with like blood pressure, stethoscopes, listening to lung sounds, manually auscultated blood pressures. Uh, depending on your program, you may or may not learn uh, glucometers, how to take a blood glucose, and some of the other, we'll say good soft skill patient assessment stuff, actually talking to your patients, getting a more detailed patient history, trying to piece together what that may or may not mean for you as the provider. And obviously a lot more practice and hands-on work with your patient assessments, your wound management, et cetera. Some other things, big ones in there, uh, dislocation reduction. I believe at wilderness first aid level, it's pretty well limited to a shoulder and they generally teach one technique for that uh, wilderness. And again, this is going to vary. So if you had a wilderness first aid course and you learned all kinds of different ways for different joints, then cool. Got it. I'm just giving you my perspective of the generalities. So wound closure, dislocation reductions, you know, you're going to learn at the wellness first responder, shoulders, knees, uh, fingers, uh, the simple ones, right? You're not going to be doing, you know, you technically, I think learn hips, but that's a, if you've ever seen somebody have a hip wow. reduced, not in an emergency room, that's some work. Okay? That's uh, yeah. That takes effort. 
Yeah. So, all right. So good luck with that. But uh, uh, they also get into a little bit more use of medications, primarily still focused around the OTCs. At the wellness first aid level, they talk, you know, Motrin, Tylenol, aspirin, Benadryl as your foundational meds. At the wellness first responder, you build on those a bit more, uh, depending on where you sit in the world of, am I prescribing meds or not? Or am I just handing you a handful of Motrin for you to take on your own? It is what it is. Uh, you're generally provided some coverage of the first responder, good Samaritan thing. Mm-hmm. And again, there's some rules. We're not going to discuss those, right? But they're out so there. Sean, EpiPen use. Yeah. The, the woofer programs. Um, typically, those don't come with, uh, I'll call it opportunity to register for and test for uh, a registry level first responder card, right? Like this is, this is a different, it's wilderness first responders completely different than like the national registry uh first responder certification level that is kind of considered below an EMT, correct? It is. So back in the day, it was called wilderness first responder to align it to the what used to be just the first responder level. And on the urban side EMS, well first responder is now an emergency medical responder. Right. An EMR. Uh, because yeah, say because the first responder became a generic term for anybody who arrived on scene first and started just that initial care. So that could be a, a police officer who's just got basic first aid training. If he's the first guy on scene doing anything for a patient, that's he's a first responder. Right. Uh, a first responder could just be a, another motorist who witnessed a car accident and is pulled over and is trying to help with bleeding control or whatever it might be, CPR. So right now, mm-hmm. I am not personally aware of anybody's programs that if you do a wellness first responder program, if you that makes you eligible to sit for your national registry emergency medical responder certification. Uh, right now, I, there are, at the wilderness EMT type courses, there are two programs that I'm aware of that prepare you to sit for the national registry for your EMT because they run a full multi-week EMT, EMT program. Then both of these courses just add in basically an extra week of wilderness stuff, but it is the foundational baseline EMT curriculum. There's nothing magic mm-hmm. about it. It's just, they spend some extra time also talking about wilderness stuff, but because you completed a, you know, NHTSA DOT approved EMT curriculum through an approved training center, uh, they will allow you to sit for national registry EMT card. Now, if you don't sit for your registry card, are you considered a wilderness EMT? Well, no, because you don't have an EMT certification. Right. So if you sit through that whole thing and you fail your registry exams, you did six or eight weeks of somebody's wilderness EMT program that gained you some knowledge and experience, but didn't give you a card to do anything with. I don't know right. if they do any sort of reciprocity. And, and, and I asked that question. A wellness first responder card or not. Yeah, I keyed up the question mainly to clarify that all of these courses, if you're a lay person listening to us, and by lay person, I mean somebody that does not work either professionally or volunteer in the EMS industry, but you're interested in going off into the woods or, or helping somebody you find in the woods, these are excellent courses for that function. But these are not yeah. what I would call analogous or equivalent to 
uh, registry certified courses that actually enable you to hold a certification and operate under medical direction, which is is the big, big differentiator here. Um, most of the, I don't know of any of these programs, to be honest, that have you walk away with the ability to hold a card that a state EMS office would recognize and then allow you to perform pre-hospital medicine under the direction of a medical director with these certifications. So these are more, um, you know, going in the woods, it's a secondary function. Uh, going into the backcountry, you're doing some guiding secondary function, but these are not certifying classes. These are education acquisition opportunities. And it's good education. They're just not certifying bodies. Correct. Correct. And we'll talk about that here in just one minute. First, uh, the last program we're going to mention is run by the National Ski Patrol. And they have their Outdoor Emergency Care, OEC program. Very, very similar to Wilderness First Responder. I think they are definitely running the 80 plus hour version. Uh, I don't keep up with them a whole lot. I just know they exist. And those guys, their curriculum I know is approaching near EMT level training. Uh, it's very specific. It's very niche to the National Ski Patrol. Uh, you, you know, if you're a ski patroller, I think you, depending on where you work, you have to either be a wilderness first responder, you have to be an OEC graduate or a certified EMT or above. Uh, and again, that's a varies by your particular ski patrol area, right? So that's where you work could be different. You know, some places are where OEC or nothing kind of places. They won't even recognize a paramedic. And it's really just because that's how they operate. Those are the protocols they have. That's what they use. They're not going to give you narcotics, even if you show up as a paramedic to be doing pain management. Right. So, and again, that, that'll vary depending on where you're at. Same with the search and rescue teams, right? Some search and rescue teams still have, may have an EMS license and they can function as an EMS agency. And so if you show up as a certified EMS provider, it gives you more latitude and perhaps an expanded scope of practice that you can use in practice, but not necessarily. All right. So as Mike mentioned, for all of these, these three standard wellness uh, medicine courses, wellness first aid through wellness first responder, there is no national governing or credentialing body. There has been an effort by, we'll call them the big names in that industry to come together and they formed, I think it's a consortium. If we really want to get into it, somebody can send us a question and I'll be glad to answer that one. Yeah, later we'll, we'll research it for you if you're really interested. Uh, I, I have a book next me. I could really pull it up if I wanted to, but it really does. It's not that germane to the conversation. So bottom line, some of the major providers out there got together and they said, hey, let's standardize our curriculums. And they essentially did. So it's like, hey, we're all going to teach to the same baseline. If you want to add some, you can add some because we like to do this this way. You want to do it this way. That's cool. And what that did was basically if you got certified as a wellness first responder through Knowles and then you moved and there's not a Knowles course nearby, but WMA has a course, WA will accept your Knowles and allow you to recertify your wellness first responder. You won't get a Knowles card, but then you'll get a WMA card, but you won't have to go through an entire woofer course again. You'll just have to do their recertification course, whatever that might be. Same with the wellness first aid level. So does that provide some bit of uniformity? Yes. But again, it's it's not a standardized thing. There's no singular credentialing body like the National Registry of EMTs, whether your state uses them or not. You know, the NREMT exists as a unified credentialing body. That's what it was set up for. 
And so there is a variation in curriculums. I went through a first wilderness first responder course many years ago, and they actually taught needle chest decompression. And I was like, wow, really? That's a bit absurd, but sure. Uh, it's definitely not one of those skills that the average lay responder should be learning and have the ability to practice unsupervised. Uh, for my EMS friends out there, you know, there are a couple of things that can go very bad with that, with somebody that isn't proficient with that skill. And if you're not functioning in the EMS environment at the advanced life support level, the chances of you doing that correctly and a, possessing the equipment necessary as a wellness first responder is, is pretty slim. What are so you talking about, it, man? I got a pocket knife, a big pen, and some bubble gum. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, we're going to surgical crank you as well, right? <laughs> so there's there's a bit of a thing. And that one course, they kind of, the people that were running it had very much a a prepper mindset to it. And that's how they kind of approached it. They kind of did a hybrid tactical care with wilderness first responder type course. And it was it was entertaining and they were nice people. But at the end of the day, it was you weren't really doing anyone any great services with that. So you just got to be out there and you got to be aware of it. That what you see in one course might not be what you see in another course. And if you took a Knowles class in Colorado and then you took another Knowles class in Florida, it's all Knowles, but I'll tell you, instructors make a big difference. You're going to get the same curriculum, but what you learned and the way you learned it could be different. So don't just poo-poo any one provider just because you had a bad experience once, unless you really think their curriculum was absolutely horrendous, which these days I don't really think is the case. So those are the basic courses. Now we understand a little bit, maybe, about the, the big three. And really, I'm going to focus on wellness first aid and wellness first responder, just because there's not a lot of the, the wellness advanced first aiders floating around. I think I taught that course once, twice in my many, many Tenure. years of teaching these things. Yeah, right. So so the big thing is, okay, so what what is their role within wilderness EMS? And how do they integrate with responders like myself or Mike or other We'll call them again the professional side of backcountry medical response. Well, most often they're going to be the first ones on scene. They are going to be that first responder simply because for Mike and I and most all the rest of the wilderness EMS people out there, we're not just scattered on trails throughout the open lands of the country, right? We have to be dispatched from a central location, sent to the place where the person is injured. Well, that takes time. So most often, you're going to get on scene and that's where you're going to find your, your wilderness first aid or your wilderness first responder already on scene, maybe have already done a good portion of the care, done a good assessment, got some history, and they might give you a really good handover. And you're like, Hey, that's excellent. So where'd you get all this? And they're like, Oh, I did this awesome wilderness first responder course and you were my instructor. So I'm amazing now. It's like, Oh, I'm, <laughs> that's good. Right. Uh, it's never happened to me, but one day, one day it will. One day. So again, they're, they're often going to be the first ones on scene. They can't provide you a good initial assessment. Wellness first aiders learn to do initial assessments. They learn to do initial ABC and a follow-on detailed physical exam. They've learned to do and collect a patient history. If they don't lose their minds because this is the first, like, no kidding, live patient they've ever had, and if they remember their training, they might be able to provide you some really good information. 
They might have already, you know, if somebody fell down with a traumatic injury, they might have bleeding under control, might already have a good dressing put on that thing, which is excellent. Good work. One less thing for me to deal with. Another big place they're a good help is additional hands, right? So if somebody tells you that, hey, I'm a, I'm a wellness first aider or I'm a, I'm a wellness first responder or a woofer in the parlance of the time, you're like, oh, awesome. Put them to work. Mm-hmm. It's an extra set of hands that has a foundational set of skills that really apply across the spectrum, whether you're, you know, a basic first aider or you're a paramedic. Stopping bleeding and bandaging a wound is stopping bleeding and bandaging a wound. Helping to splint an extremity is is splinting an extremity. There's nothing scientifically magic about doing it in the woods that makes it different uh, for a wellness first aider and a critical care paramedic. It, the principles are all the same. So put them to use. They can be an excellent asset. They can be a big asset during evacuation. Uh, at all levels, they've learned the fundamentals of patient evacuation. They understand some of the basics of litter carry. Some programs teach litter carry uh, a bit more in depth than others, but they've all learned some piece of it and all have a general understanding. You know, Again, your woofers, just because they're the most advanced level provider, are going to understand that better because they, they learn a bit more of the planning side of the evacuation as well. So they can be a good asset for you. you know, put them to work. Don't just be like, brush them off and be like, oh, you may go away from me. <laughs> put them to work. They can be they can be great help, right? Yep. Uh, again, I've, I've taught these courses. I've seen the students that come through. And I will tell you that if I ever had any of my students roll up on scene with me saying, hey, remember me? I was in one of your classes, you know, two years ago. Can I help you out? And it's like, absolutely. Here's what I need you to do for me. And they will be happy to do it, right? So put them to work, make use of them, right? They are trained first aid responders. So they might not be carrying a national registry card or a state license to provide EMS care, but they're a trained first responder. They know their fundamentals when it comes to first aid, assuming they've been maintaining some practice and recertifying as necessary. Right. If they took one course six years ago, eh, you know, you're going to probably find that out pretty quick when they're, they're not sure what they're doing with something. But again, if they're looking competent, use them. Okay. So those are our lay responders, the first responders. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the professional in air quotes responders, the EMTs and paramedics. Uh, many of the same people that provide wellness first aid and woofer courses provide a wilderness EMT upgrade program. Are most of the people that go into the woods as wilderness EMS responders, wilderness EMTs and such? The answer to that is probably not. And if I had to bet, I'd say, I won't say exclusively, but no. All right. It's, and we're going to talk about that why in a little bit. So number one, big difference. Wilderness EMS responders, whether they're EMTs, advanced EMTs, or paramedics, or even if you're having to be an EMR, right? You are a licensed and credentialed EMS provider who is operating under medical direction, meaning you have a physician who is providing oversight and guidance for not just you, but your program. So there's another level of supervision and responsibility that goes with this. So if I'm a woofer and I mess up splinting somebody, eh, I didn't intend to do harm. Sorry, I did my best. Generally speaking, you're going to be covered by the Good Samaritan laws in, in whatever state you live in, and you'll, you'll be all right, as long as you didn't do anything outrageous, right? So that whole mm-hmm. rational man principle. Mm-hmm. Now, if I show up and I mess up splinting, especially at my level as a paramedic, 
and I cause further injury to the patient, well, that's on me. I messed up. So I could be held liable for that additional injury or worsening the already existing injury. So that's, and that's a lot of responsibility to take on. Uh, And a lot of people don't really want to take that on. And so they're very happy to remain, we'll call it the lay person. I'll stay a, a woofer and I'll help where I can and do what good work I can, but I'm not worried about becoming, you know, a wilderness EMS provider who's got a doctor who's essentially going to be all up on me if I do something foolish. Right. Uh, and there's less paperwork. So we talked about, yeah, and there's so, a lot less paperwork. I mean, there's, right? there's a lot less paperwork. Yeah. Hey, by the way, as a layperson, there's no paperwork. If you took some notes yeah. and you want to give them to your friends or your patients, good on you, but certainly not required. Yeah. All right. So I mentioned it briefly. A wilderness CMT. They wimped. I hate that acronym. Uh, <laughs> does it really mean anything? The answer is no. It means you were an EMT or above who had some provider's wilderness EMT upgrade program, right? That could be you attended a wilderness first responder course. It could have been a a specifically designed wilderness EMT upgrade program, which looks a lot like a wilderness first responder program in most places, or it could be something else completely different. Uh, there are programs, I know Knowles, uh, and I reference them a lot. There's no advertising bonuses here for them, but they run the wilderness upgrade for medical providers. Essentially, it's if you are a certified medical provider, EMT and above, all the way through physicians, this course is designed to provide you some level of, of wilderness exposure as to apply based on your skill set and your certification and your educational level. Now, this is, this is Sean's opinion. There could be a lot of haters, and people want to send me a lot of hate over this. But this is my opinion, right? Do these courses really prepare the certified EMS provider to work in the wilderness? And the answer to that, my friends, is no. Okay. There is no real environmental training in any of these courses. It's like, oh, sure, we practice patient assessments outside. Neat. I practice patient assessments outside in my EMT class, too, just because it was a nice sunny day. And they said, hey, let's go outside. That doesn't mean you train to do patient assessments uh, in an adverse environment, day or night, good, bad weather, doesn't matter. Right? You're not really getting good environmental training. You're learning, you know, the layperson's skills and they're trying to apply them to your EMS level stuff. And a lot of times there's a lot of overlap. Like if you're a competent EMT and you go to a wilderness first responder course and you and you walk away and say you learned something, I'd be a little concerned about you other than how to improvise a traction splint for a fractured femur. You know, that's just not something that you do because you have splints that do that for you and they do it much better. So beyond yeah, some I th- of the, I think it's it's fair to say that you might learn how to do some stuff with some atypical tooling that you would not find in an EMT course, but you're not going to learn anything fundamentally different about pathophysiology or the extra the execution of wilderness medicine as a wilderness medical professional, because wilderness medical professionals come with the tools they need to execute the skills of their trade, whereas <laughs> layperson wilderness first responders tend to make use of the environment around them. Um, I exactly, often make the right? joke that if, if I splint a leg with a, two twigs and a, and a, and a, a roll of Coflex, 
Well, the first thing my medical director is going to ask is, well, <laughs> where was your Sam splint? Like, why why are there yeah. two twigs splinting this leg? Where, right? Like, where I thought you were professional. Splints? I thought you brought your tools, right? Yeah. Yeah. There better have been a bear that ran off with your backpack. Right. So, so there but as far that, as right? the, the actual treatment of the injuries, it doesn't change, right? Like, you're not going to no. learn anything and it does new, it. per se. Right. And, that, and that's why I, I never look down on the, like the wellness first aid or wellness first responders, right? Basic first aid is basic first aid. BLS life support skills are BLS skills. Again, wound management, you know, bleeding control and bandaging, you know, fundamentals of CPR, like knowing an airway is open or closed and how to fix that basically, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all the same, right? You know, it's just, as you go up higher in certification levels, you just have more tools that are available to you. Um, and so do these courses really prepare you to be a wilderness EMT? And the answer is no, right? Again, the improvisational skills is the one area you're going to look at things and go, oh, yeah, I could do that, sure. Um, but is that something for the actual, again, as, as Mike hit it right on the head, is that something as you, as a trained professional EMS responder, going into the backcountry, is that the way you should be operating? And the answer is no. You shouldn't be heading down trail with a hatchet in your pack going, I'll just make splints when I get there. No, you should already have at least one, two Sam splints in your pack with you. All the supporting accoutrement to make those work, triangle bandages, coban, you know, ace wraps, whatever it might be, all that to go with it. And we're talking about a basic splinting thing here, right? Yeah. Or if it's trauma or whatever your provider level is. We'll talk about gear another another episode. You need to go prepared with that. So if you know, and you're going to get reports as you're going in, that you have a person who's fallen, pitched off a cliff, trying to get a selfie, took one step too many, whatever it might be, and you're looking at significant trauma, a potential for a fractured femur, and you didn't take a purpose-built traction splint for a femur with you, bad call, right? But that's enough of that. So improvisation, it's good. It makes you think. It teaches you a couple of different things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing by any stretch. Nope. I'm just saying if that's all you're learning, that's not teaching you and that's not preparing you to function in the wilderness. All right. So what what programs are out there that will better serve you and better prepare you to, to function as a wilderness EMS provider? So there's a few. There's not a lot. There are a few. So the Wilderness Medical Society has their fellowship in the Academy of Wilderness Medicine. And essentially, you have to be a certified medical provider, EMT or above, to apply to the program. And then there are a boatload of programs and courses that you need to take to, uh, you have to accumulate essentially so many points or credits, depending on how you want to look at it, before you get awarded your, your fellowship, official designation. And they give you years to complete this, because for some people, it could take them years to complete it. Um, and I'm not going to say that's going to completely prepare you. What it does is it makes sure that you've been exposed across a very large spectrum of wilderness medical topic areas, whether that's, you know, envenomation from poisonous snakes or spiders, patient care, altitude sicknesses, cold weather, hot weather emergencies, everything else that you're going to learn other places. But they obviously have a very, very strong wilderness uh, theme behind them, right? It is the Wilderness Medical Society. Uh, WMS also publishes their recommended wilderness or backcountry protocol guidelines for patient care. 
which differentiate uh, sometimes significantly from their urban counterparts. And a lot of places use their their guidelines as, as the foundation for their protocols. So they, they have experience in this. And so you're going to get exposed to a lot of different things. Uh, in line with that is the diploma in mountain medicine. This one generally is, is also one that they give you several years to complete because you have to attend two different week-long seminars, one for, we'll call it summer, and one for winter type operations. And then they have corresponding actual week-long programs you have to attend, you know, for technical rescue, basic mountaineering, climbing, working in snow, avalanche, et cetera, right? And that is definitely one of those programs that if you come out of that, are you prepared to be a wilderness provider? Yes, certainly. You have a very strong exposure to actually doing patient care in these environments under different different situations with different equipment and and scenarios. Uh, Then there's some other independent providers out there, other educational providers. Um, A program Mike and I went to run by Special Operations Aid and Rescue, SOAR, their extended austere provider course, week-long program. And again, you're required to be a certified medical professional before you attend the program. It has a very strong critical care bent to it. And again, it's it's all about providing extended patient care in the austere environment for uh, in less than ideal situations and conditions. Great course. Highly recommend it. And, and again, there's a few others out there. Uh, what is it? Rescue Medics International, I think, RMI. Yeah, has, RMI. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. There's a couple of other programs that I would really love to get to, but just can't make it work with work and everything else going on. So there are other programs out there that are very specifically geared toward training and exposing certified EMS professionals to work in these in this environment. So just having attended a wellness first responder course is going to be good for you, but it's not going to get you everything you need to be successful. They're not going to teach you how to pack your pack. They're not going to teach you what rain gear is going to be the best thing for you to have based on the weather and your environment and and things like that, that you just need to learn. Now, a lot of these courses are going to teach you some of this as well, but you're going to pick them up while taking some of these courses. Uh, So I'm not saying don't take them. If this is an area you want to get into and you're very new to it, take the courses. Yeah, sounds great. If you're an EMT, uh, advanced EMT, even a paramedic, and you want to, you're just now maybe thinking about getting into wilderness EMS, take the wilderness upgrade and medical providers course. Take a woofer course. See kind of what it's about, what these guys learn, and you'll have a better understanding for it. Is, and again, like I said, is that going to be the end all for your professional development and preparedness for it? Nope, it's not. Mm-mm. So what do you need? So what I'll say to truly be prepared for the actual guys who are going to be professional wilderness EMS providers, you should have some sort of formal training to operate in your environment. Now, Mike and I sitting out on the Mid-Atlantic, we, we can run anywhere from the beaches, the swamps, up into, well, we call them mountains on the East Coast, but they're really yeah. not. The big hills. Yeah. The big hills. Yeah. The big hills. Yeah. yeah. So these are the operating environments that he and I and anyone who rides wilderness EMS in, in our region needs to be familiar with and understand. 
And if you're not, then you're a bit behind the power curve. Yeah. Same thing. Like if you're on a wilderness EMS response crew and you're operating in Arizona out in the high desert, you know, or down in out East where it's just flat, hot desert, you have a different operating environment than I do. And you need to be familiar with that and the equipment you need for that. And it might change your EMS practice. You might have different protocols. You might have way more aggressive heat and cold management protocols than I do, but it, it all depends. Yep. But you should have some formal training to operate in your environment. Now, there's an entry level to that. You got to get your foot in the door and you got to get going. And then you start finding some of these advanced programs to take. Got it. Do it. Find them. Gear selection. If you're not already coming in with a strong outdoors, backcountry background, if you haven't been... And I'm not talking about somebody who just does, you know, five mile long day hikes every now and again, you can pick out a nice day pack and some hiking boots like a champion, mm-hmm. but people who you need a little bit more experience in multi-day, like backpacking, it's not that you're going out on a multi-day rescue every time you go out into the woods, but the gear and equipment, even for a short four hour rescue is very often the same. It's going to be the same level of gear you're going to need. Uh, so being familiar with that, get a class on it, find people who you want to, who you found who do this work and try to get them to be a mentor and help them guide you in your selection of equipment and things like that. Uh, there's really no, there's, there's no substitute for doing right. And, uh, whether it's wilderness medicine or straight up EMS, EMS is still very much a, it's a, a, a journeyman style career, right? You can get all the book knowledge in the world you want, hmm. but until it's two o'clock in the morning and grandma's having a heart attack and you need to do work, right? That, that yeah. nothing, nothing replaces experience in EMS. And the same thing holds true with wilderness EMS. We're just doing yeah. it in a different venue, right? You, you got to go. Yeah. Get and that's exactly experience. right. Yeah, and experience is the big one, right? Experience, experience, experience. But you got to start somewhere. So again, take some of these entry-level courses. Take a wilderness first aid class, a warfare course. Go to REI. REI's got classes like introductions to backpacking and hiking and things like that. Now, here's the thing. Before you just like, ah, I'm going to EMT school and I'm going to do this, you should probably research what's in your area and who is providing this, if anyone, because and we'll talk about this on other shows too. Wilderness EMS is not something that is everywhere all over this country. There are very niche pockets of it. Uh, and so finding people that are doing it is your number one thing. And then you kind of got to latch onto those guys, try to get them to bring you in and say, Hey, how do I get with you? How do I join your organization? How do I volunteer with wherever it is you're at, whatever it might be. And that's where you need to start. Cause if you just rush out find an EMT course, take it, pass, good job, buy a backpack and a bunch of gear, you might find you wasted hundreds of dollars or more on stuff you don't need. You know, you were invested in the wrong type of thing. So don't just rush out and start buying it, right? Like uh, Mike and I both were on the same SAR team and I was the new member coordinator for several years. And one of the things was, is here's your gear list, buy basic stuff if you don't already know what you like when it came to like, you know, you had to have at least one set of rain gear, you know, and the only guidance generally speaking was don't show up with a vinyl yellow coat just because 
for the backcountry, the vinyl yellow coat's just not going to get it done, right? Oh, sure, the water will not get through it, but you're going to sweat to death from the inside. Uh, right. And so people would come with a foundational bit of kit, and we'd always do a gear inspection before they actually joined. Say, yep, this is good, and this is all great. This will get you started. And then once you get started, you can start seeing what other people are carrying, some of the more experienced providers are carrying, and then you just start upgrading and changing your stuff from there. Same thing with all of this work, right? So you got to start somewhere. Some of the other specific skills training that most of us would recommend, obviously, land navigation. If you're intending to be a wilderness provider, you need to be able to operate in the wilderness. That means knowing where you're at at all times. Yeah. Map and compass work, right? GPSs are great. If you use a GPS, know how to use your GPS. Don't just, it turns on. You know, if you don't understand there are different types of map datum and you can't just pick this map datum in your GPS, it has to match the datum that's used on your map. A lot of people don't know that and they can't figure out why they can never pinpoint where they're at exactly. We'll call it foundational survival skills. So every now and again, you get the unexpected, hey, you're going to have to remain overnight with your patient. Or it might be in the morning and it's like, the weather's coming in, you're going to have to stay here with them for the next 10, 12 hours before we can get people together to do this. So you have to be able to, you know, build a basic shelter, not just for you, primarily for your patient. You got to get them out of the elements, right? Do you know how to start a fire if necessary? Do you know how to start a fire safely in your environment? Right. You don't want to be that rescuer who starts a giant fire, forest fire and burns it, you know, boatload of, of acreage down basic rope work. Do you, do you have an environment that has steep earth verticals, obstacles where you have to understand how to work with ropes, even if it's basic belays, simple patient access, you know, do you, basic rappelling for you, technical rescue, you know, moving your patient vertically up or down or traversing across other obstacles on the ground, helicopter operations, not necessarily just sitting in one and riding in one, Though it's entertaining, it's not all that hard, but doing hoist operations, there's a little finesse to that. There's specific gear and equipment and different places have different SOPs on how it works. Got to be familiar with that. You know, and that list keeps going on and on. And really a lot of that comes from the organization you join and a lot of the internal training you'll receive, or hopefully, or you could be like some people, you know, maybe you'll join that local SAR team, take a wellness first aid, wellness first responder course learn a lot of this foundational stuff through them, get some experience in the search and rescue world. And you meet somebody like Mike or I and go, Hey man, I want to do what you guys do. And then you work your way into that gig. So that's really, that's really the big piece, right? Is your lay responders, absolutely tremendous resource. Use them, use them to the best of their ability. Never just blow them off and unless they give you a reason to do so. And then you got to do what you got to do. You got to provide best patient care. So for folks who are just now getting into this, you know, should I take a wellness first aid course or not? Yeah, take one. Would I recommend a wellness first aid course for anyone? I don't care if you have no intention of ever setting foot in the woods. I would recommend you take a wellness first aid course before I'd ever recommend you take a four or eight hour Red Cross basic first aid program. Uh, You'll just learn all the basic same things, uh, but so much more, a lot more stuff that's a lot more useful as well. 
It's not going to make you the family doctor, but it's going to make you much more prepared and experienced basic first aider than, than a simple Red Cross course would. You know, for the, the prepper community, wait for the world to end kind of folks, whatever it might be. Yeah, don't just take a Red Cross first aid. Find a wilderness first aid course. Find a warfare program. Learn these things. Uh, they're a lot more applicable than I'm going to send myself to EMT school. If you're not prof- planning to be a professional EMS type responder, don't waste your time and money on EMT school when you could get almost the same level of education and probably a lot more applicable to what your needs are going to be by taking a wellness course, especially a wellness first responder course. You know, it's just a good way to get out there and it's a good way to get exposure to some of this. And then if you get into it, if you want to get into wilderness EMS, then it might be a time to, you know, take the EMT course, or if you're already a certified EMS provider, look into some of these other wellness courses, find guys like Mike and I and other organizations that might be out there and link up with them. I think I just decided so we're going to do being, a course someday. So yeah, come take our class that doesn't exist yet, but uh, I'm <laughs> now going to start working on. Yeah, that he's going to make me start writing curriculum for. Yep, um, pretty it's much. Good thing I got a bunch of stuff. Anyway, so all that being said, what what is the future? And by the future, I mean for the wilderness EMS side. So, is there a formalized certification with a vetted curriculum nationally recognized? Not yet. Not on the EMS side. There are rumors floating in the winds uh, for I, I was it IBSC, the International Board of IBSC. Specialty Certifications, some people that oversee critical care and flight medics, that there may be a wilderness certified paramedic program that comes out, which, hey, I'm in. Let me know when it's up. I'll take it. Yeah. I'm all about that. I'm down. Uh, Let's do this. What will it mean when it comes out? I don't know. I think a lot of it, similar to the fellowship in wilderness medicine, Right. It'll indicate that someone, you know, obviously at the paramedic level, that's how those are set up, has a attained a certain baseline set of knowledge and, and experience to function competently as a wilderness provider and kind of give you an official certification on that, which excellent. I'm in. I think that'll help a lot. Uh, and it'd be good if we could get something similar at the EMT or advanced EMT level as well and recognize those folks as, as someone who's an actual trained wilderness provider beyond you know, having just taken hey, you know what? That's a good idea. Course. I mean, if anybody from the IBSC is listening, because we have like four listeners, um, <laughs> I believe you guys have like <laughs> a tactical going. responder certification. Yeah, um, they have tactical which paramedic. Is, um, well, they have the tactical paramedic, but I think there's also like a tactical responder certification. Oh, you're right. I think they do right? have. One I, I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head, uh, but I feel like that's for non-paramedic level testing. I don't think it requires a paramedic, but yeah, let's go like, I'll help you. Let's go make an exam for like EMTs to do wilderness stuff. I'm down. Yeah. So maybe in the future, who knows? Um, But again, just passing that test doesn't make you a wilderness medic any more than passing the FPC or critical care paramedic makes you a critical care medic, right? You've actually got to function and operate in that environment. Uh, You know, I could go and one day I will just cause sit the critical care paramedic exam. If I never work in critical care. Yeah, sure. I've got some extra letters I can put at the end of my name, but that doesn't make me, in my opinion, a critical care paramedic. It makes me somebody who passed the test, right? You need to be doing the job, right? So just having an EMT card and taking a woofer course and then suddenly having a wilderness EMT card doesn't make you a wilderness responder, right? 
it's it's just another card. So you got to get out there. You got to do it. You got to get on the ground and do the thing. And that and that's really what makes the difference at this level right now. As folks that actually have the experience and are actually out there in the woods providing care in all these different environments. And the environments is something we'll be talking about. I think next episode. Yeah, kind of soon. what makes what makes this wilderness austere thing the unique and fun thing that we like to do. Yeah. All right. So we kind of covered over a bunch of stuff, right? Very high level. I said, we were going to get into a lot of detail, a little bit on the wilderness first aiders, wilderness first responders, those courses, what, what you learn. We didn't really go into what you don't learn. Uh, don't worry about that. If you're not sure to take one, I always encourage you to learn how those folks integrate with people like me and Mike, the EMS responders that show up in the woods. Um, and here's something to keep in mind too. If you're the wilderness first responder and the guy that shows up in the woods to take over patient care from you, looks like he's in a firefighter's outfit. You are probably the most prepared wilderness provider at, at that moment. You know, if he's not, if he's just a regular urban EMS provider who just said, Hey, you got to walk in the woods because there is nobody else. He's coming very begrudgingly, most likely, and he's not going to be outfitted for it. So you, as a first responder, a wilderness first responder, you might provide or find yourself as the most qualified wilderness responder that's out there on scene. So so for all of our woofers that are listening, don't discount your level of certification. You'd be surprised how often you're the senior, we'll call them wilderness provider that's out there. Right? You, you have that understanding of some of those unique patient care things that have to happen that even another paramedic might not know. So learn the things, people, learn the things. All right. And yeah. we talked really what separates the wilderness EMS responder from, from the rest of the wilderness folks, right? And it's that certified, licensed individual who is governed usually by a state regulatory body and overseen by a physician. Uh, the, everybody else doesn't. They get covered as, as a first aider, essentially, which is good. Because it allows you a little more flexibility than it does Mike or I, but at the same time, it also limits you in what you can do. So a little more flexibility, a little less fentanyl. It's kind of yeah. how that works out. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a good song. Yeah, Elvis not. singing that. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the differences between wilderness programs and and certification, state recognized sort of medical medical certifications. Talking apparently is hard for me. Um, if you have any questions or comments or ideas for shows, you know, hit us up at the show at emsonthemountain.com. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. We've got, I don't know, 40 or so things in the hopper that we want to talk about. This is a very unique specialty in medicine. Uh, it's kind of what we've been specializing in at a combined level for over 50 years. Uh, <laughs> and we have a lot of passion for it. So I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you enjoy the upcoming episodes. We're going to get better at recording these things and get better at, uh, you know, doing the talking into a microphone when nobody else is listening till later. So until then, uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Uh, send any questions you have and we'll talk to you soon. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, 
or you can engage with us and a whole community of Wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash Wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.